This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. And a very good afternoon to all of us. Welcome to BTBC Church from Home. Now, I hope you have your Bible with you. If not, it's a great time to pick your Bible up and, or to use your digital one. But let us begin by asking God to help us. We pray with me. Where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so we come to you this morning, afternoon, that God, you will give us food from your eternal word. We pray, God, that your Holy Spirit be with us, that your Holy Spirit will engage our minds, that we can understand your word, and that you will engage our hearts, that we can respond rightly to you, and you will strengthen our hands, that we may live in your truth. We pray all this and ask for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of the exciting things my children and I embarked on during this COVID-19 circuit breaker is to begin our journey into the Middle Earth. We've started reading The Hobbits and The Lord of the Rings. And while we're still at the first quarter of our journey, I can't help but remember how the journey will eventually end. And at one point nearing the end of their journey, a hobbit by the name Frodo, he was supposed to destroy an evil ring that, will, that has ruined many people. His faithful friend Sam had been helping him all the way up to the point where Frodo has to take that final step. He has to let go of the ring and be saved. But at that crucial moment, the ring began to sing to Frodo and he hesitated. The power of the ring was so attractive that he does not want to let go. The ring promises to give its owner absolute power, to be like a god. But the reality is that it always destroys its owner. And now at the crucial point, his best friend Sam shouted to him and he actually said, Frodo, what are you waiting for? Just let it go. Just let the ring go. Well, I'm not going to tell you how it ends or I'll spoil the ending for you or for my kids, but here's the truth. The truth is only God can have the power of God. For humans, when we desire to be like a God and to have absolute power over others, we will make very horrible choices, leading to our own destruction. Now, over the past few weeks and the next few, we are taking a journey with Jesus and his disciples, and we shall see how the hearts of people will have to choose between salvation and destruction by how they respond to Jesus. This morning, we'll learn from Mark 14 about the death of Jesus. And here is the key point of today's passage. Jesus must die on the cross. Jesus dies because humans will rebel against God to be our own gods. But Jesus dies also because God loves us and wants to save us from our self-destruction. So please join me as we step back into the gospel, chapter 14, from verse 1 to 26, where we will have to choose our response to Jesus. 
So please open with me to Mark 14 as I paint the context of the passage for us. Now it was Wednesday. The past few days had felt like the longest days in their lives. If the disciples had only knew what the next few days hold, they would have felt worse. Now, just three days ago, they arrived in Jerusalem like king and heroes. The crowds were cheering for Jesus. It was a good Sunday, they reckoned. But things quickly turned sour by Monday. Jesus woke up. He seemed irritable. He cursed a fruitless fig tree on his way to the temple. And then at the temple, Jesus overturned the tables of merchants, calling them a den of robbers. You can almost feel, if you're one of the disciples, the temple vouchers leering and staring at them from every corner of their mighty walls. This should have been the holiest and safest place in the world. But why did they feel trapped like sheep among a den filled with wolves in sheep clothings? They left the temple shaken. Then Tuesday came. On their way back to the temple again, they found the fig tree Jesus cursed with it. Jesus spoke about faith and how they would move mountains by their faith. Surely it's Jesus' parable. Will this fisherman and tax collector really move the mountains of our world? And good gracious, why did Jesus want to go back to the temple? The, the religious authorities, they are there laying traps for Jesus, traps that would land Jesus and the disciples into serious trouble. But thankfully, Jesus turned the table on them and their traps were diffused. And finally, when they managed to leave the temple again to ease things up, one of the twelve, he commented how grand this temple was, only to have Jesus reply that this temple would be destroyed. But how could it be unless the world ends with it because such magnificent temple that it was? And so it would, replied Jesus. In due course, the disciples, they need to know when to run when the temple crumbles, says Jesus. But there is nowhere they can run when this world crumbles. They need to be watchful and ready for Jesus' final return. So dear friends, like I said, it was Wednesday at the start of Mark 14. It was nearing the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. Jesus will be dead by Friday. As you look at today's passage, we shall call it an explanation of Jesus' death over two meals. In the first meal, we will see the plotting and anointing for Jesus' death from verse 1 to 11. In the second meal, we will see that the Passover is about Jesus' death from verses 12 to 26. So join me as we step into verses 1 to 11. If you have your Bible open and look at that passage, this first meal will tell us that Jesus will die in the hands of man, and Jesus knows it. If you look at verses 1 and 2, we will see that the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. They want Jesus dead, but their traps failed. Now it's almost Passover and Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem, which is jam-packed. 
the religious authorities dare not arrest Jesus publicly in this festive season in, in case there is a riot uh, that comes up and the Roman soldiers will have reason to crush the Jews. So the authorities, they want to try the robber's way. They want to capture Jesus secretly, but well, there's no chance they can do it with Jesus and 12 big men. How would they be able to capture Jesus alone unless an insider can create an opening? And it's here we reach verse 10 and 11, which is like a sandwich where Judas is carried. He will volunteer, he will raise his hand and be the man that dips his hand in with the religious authorities. He will betray Jesus, they will pay him, the pact is made. The door for Jesus to escape was bolted from inside and outside. There's no way Jesus will escape Jerusalem. He must die. And there we have inside this what we call the Marcaeans sandwich, the account of a woman anointing Jesus for his death from verses 3 to verse 9. As you look at verse 3 to verse 9, we are told Jesus now, uh, now heads back to Bethany. He's having a meal with his friends at Simon the leper's home. And during this meal, while the men were eating, a woman came in. She carried an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nut. And then she broke the jar and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. Now this stopped all conversations immediately. Because this, which looked like an impulsive act of emotions, drew a lot of harsh rebukes from the dinner guests. Because here, here it is. First of all, this was a man's dinner, and she had interrupted their meal with her actions. Second, the, the aroma of the perfume was so overpowering that you can't taste the pickle in your hamburger. Just imagine, ladies, if you have perfume, or even guys, just a perfume that is 10 times the size of yours and you just smash it right in your dining hall or in front of your dinner table. You can't smell anything from your food anymore. The whole taste disappears and you can only smell the perfume. And third, it's impossible for them to continue this laid-back meal anymore because everyone will be carried by the smell of the perfume to a very special occasion where this perfume can be uh, smelled. Perhaps it was a royal wedding ceremony, a king's anointing, perhaps a king's funeral. This is a smell that is present only on very special occasion. But most importantly, number four, they thought it was such a waste of money. Their rebuke on her was harsh. Their gaze at her almost murderous. But Jesus knew, Jesus knew it was not an act of impulse. For the jar of perfume was worth a year's wages. An ordinary person would never have spent a year, it's not a year saving, but a year's wages on a perfume. This perfume was most likely an heirloom passed down from great-grandma to grandma to mom and then to her. In our modern day, you could imagine it's like a bottle of very aged wine that was handed down to you from your ancestors that cost tens and tens of thousands of dollars. It was not meant to be drunk. It was meant to be kept. 
And whatever the case, uh, it was that this would have been the most precious possession that this woman would have. Now, as we think, whether this woman understood all that Jesus had been teaching about his death, you and I, we can't be sure. But she knew this thing. She knew Jesus was more important than anything in her world. Words could not express what she wanted to tell Jesus. And somehow the events over the past few days might have made her uneasy. The son of David who rode the donkey into Jerusalem, she could have been there a few days ago. Perhaps he would not survive this Passover. If she was amongst the crowds in the temple the last two days, she knew that Jesus was not welcomed in the temple by the gatekeepers of the temple of God. Somehow it felt right for her at this moment that she needed to reveal her absolute loyalty to her king. By giving her king what was most precious to her, this jar of alabaster perfume, that she would reveal while she has the chance that, she, that he is her king and she is loyal to him. And once broken, you can imagine, there's no turning back. You can't sell it anymore. The alabaster perfume is broken. But that was her choice. Imagine the courage she must have. And then imagine the horror of the people's rebuke. But Jesus honors her. And this is what he says. Look at verse 6 with me. Verse 6. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I'd like to invite us, just pause for a moment, look at verse 6 to verse 9 carefully. Here Jesus says that a woman had done a beautiful thing by pouring the perfume on his body to prepare for his burial. Jesus will die in the hands of man. He knows it. The disciples that followed him, they have heard Jesus speak about his death many times, but still they don't seem to have grabbed it. The guests, including the twelve, not to mention Judas Iscariot, they were angry with the woman's generous act and they speak of the money wasting on Jesus. To, to tell the truth, I don't think they were so concerned about the poor. They're probably more concerned that the money and the value of the perfume was wasted and on Jesus. They use religious terms almost like a Pharisee to rebuke the woman. But then here is how Jesus replied. Jesus is telling them the highest priority for us is not doing good, but rather to love God with all our hearts and his king with all our beings. Now, brothers and sisters, friends, here's the difference between religion and Christianity. Religion tells us doing good is our highest priority. Christianity tells us loving God and Jesus, our king, is our highest priority. I wonder if you have this experience before. When you try to share the good news of Jesus to someone, the person will say, um, you don't have to tell me about Christianity. Really, religions are all the same. It's just telling us to do good. 
I wonder if you heard that from someone when you tried to tell them about Jesus. Our response should have been this. It is true. True of religion. But not true of Christianity. Christians are won over by our King. And so loving Him is our highest priority. If you look at today's passage, Jesus, he is not rebuking the guests for wanting to care for the poor, but rather for not understanding what time it is. It is time for their king to die. As you look at the passage, you'll see that the guests and the twelve, they demonstrated a failure to understand how little time there is left before Jesus departs. And how precious Jesus is that they have taken for granted and not treasured him. But a woman, she was won over by her king. She poured perfume on Jesus' body beforehand to prepare for his burial. And if you look closely at verse 9, look at verse 9. It says, Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. If you look at verse 9, this is what it's actually saying, that the death of Jesus will become the message of the gospel. The gospel that was spread after Jesus' death, which has already spread in our world in our time. The gospel carries the message of Jesus' death and burial. And so wherever the gospel is preached, the death of Jesus is being preached throughout this world. And we will, like today, remember what this woman did for her king. Now, dear friends, Jesus' death was no accident because he was actively walking towards his death. But the question for us is this. How do we respond to Jesus and his death? Will it be like the chief priests, the teachers of the law, like Judas? Or will it be like the woman and those who humbly trust and treasure Jesus and his gospel? Friends, I would like you to pause and think with me for just a few minutes right now. Think about our world. Think about ourselves. And think how we will respond to Jesus. Those who want Jesus did in our world, not just in Jesus' time, but in our world, they will be like the chief priests who want to sit on God's throne and behave like gods. They'll find the corrections, the warnings of Jesus in the Bible repulsive. They will only accept Jesus if Jesus sings to their tune, or Jesus is willing to be a genie in a bottle that we will, we will open up if we want to ask for things, or a pet that will fetch our shoes. Those like the chief priests, they do not want a king sitting on their throne. They want a Jesus who will conform to our pious or even religious facade. But they do not want a Jesus that will reveal the maggots that is growing inside us. Let's pray that we may not choose the choice that the chief priests have chosen to be their own gods. Again, there are those who want Jesus dead in our world, in our time as well, who will be like Judas Iscariot. They may have followed Jesus for a while, perhaps even served in churches or coached Jesus. 
But slowly, as they continue to follow Jesus, they grow to dislike the Bible's teaching. Those like Judas, they do not want the suffering king, nor the prospect of having to carry a cross to follow him. Those like Judas, they only want a Jesus that will bless them and us with career, with comfort, with money, with spouse, with good health, with good reputation. They do not want to believe Jesus, that he died not to buy comfort and let us enjoy life, but just to save us and it costs him and it will cause us to follow him. Those like Judas, they will eventually trade Jesus and his gospel. They'll trade Jesus and the gospel for prosperity and gospels. They'll pronounce a God of love who is blinded to our sins. Or else they would preach an incomplete gospel that never speaks about sin, repentance, judgment, and the need to follow our King with our cross. May we not be like Judas and make the choice Judas chose to sell out Jesus and his gospel again and again. But then we have in this beautiful passage those who love Jesus as their king and accept his death for them. Like a woman who treasures and trusts Jesus above everything else in this world. Will we make that choice instead? Will we trust and love Jesus more than the relationships we treasure? It could be the boyfriend or girlfriend or the spouse or the children or the parents. Will we love and trust Jesus more? Will we trust and love Jesus more than the material possessions that we have, which we are tempted to lean on as the ultimate security? Will we love and trust Jesus more than fame or approvals that we desire? That we will seek God's pleasure more than the approvals of people around us? Jesus, he will die in the hands of men and he knows it. But here we see a beautiful sight. We see this unnamed woman, weak as she is, stand between a world that wants Jesus dead and a world that betrays Jesus for benefits. May the Lord win you and me over as well, as he did to the woman, that we shall see Jesus as more precious than any treasures in this world. Jesus, he has to die because of our rebellion against God, but even more so as we now enter into the next meal to recognize that Jesus has to die because God loves us. So come with me to verses 12 to 26. And in this second meal, we will come to recognize that Jesus' journey to death was actually a very long-drawn preparation by God so that when his judgment comes, there is hope that somehow God's righteous judgment will pass over us or some of us. So look with me to this second meal from verse 12 to 26, where Jesus will die because it is God's will and God's way to save us. So as you look at the passage, it was Thursday, the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. Verses 12 to 16, it describes the preparation. 
two of the disciples, they will go to Jerusalem. And in the midst of the crowd, they will spot a man carrying a jar of water. Now, let me put it this way. It is a, actually an unusual sight because normally, it will be the women carrying jars of water. And it's unusual because that is not how it is in practice. So imagine this is not yet COVID-19. You turn on your carousel and you want to buy something. And the owner, the seller tells you, I'm not bringing my phone, but meet me at Raffles Place Control Station. I'll be there. I'll be wearing a Hawaiian shirt and wearing a Ronald McDonald wig. So you, you don't have a phone to contact him. But when you go, Raffles, go to Raffles Place, you'll be trying to spot this man. Okay, so as the, the two men enter Jerusalem, it is also in God's sovereignty that amongst the great crowd of people, they manage to find this man, just as Jesus told them. And the trio, they found a house in a city where the owner has already prepared a large furnished upper room for Jesus and his disciples to have the Passover. Now, if we read this very quickly, it seemed that the disciples were the ones preparing for the Passover. But if we examine it carefully, really it was Jesus who had long prepared for this. It was a meal he had planned from the very beginning to be eaten with his 12, who were meant to represent the new Israel the Israel that will inherit the kingdom of God. So how terrible it must be for Jesus to then be betrayed by one of his closest friends in verse 12, in verse 17. Look at verse 17 with me. Look at verse 17 in your Bible. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining at the table eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. No, Jesus knew he must die according to God's word. That he knew. And yet he grieved deeply, not for himself, but for the one who would betray him, because he will then have to bear the unimaginable wrath and judgment of God. Jesus said this in verse 21, a very key verse. He said this, The Son of Man will go, just as it's written about Him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Now, dear friends, as we look at the passage, we need to be clear, it was never the circumstances that made Judas betray Jesus. Rather, the circumstances revealed who Judas was and his true relationship with Jesus. Now, Jesus knew he, he must die as it is written about him in scriptures. And so on that Thursday night, Jesus gave his disciples the biggest lesson they need to learn. And this time around, Jesus didn't just use a parable. He gave his lesson through activity that the Jews have been practicing for 1,500 years. And this is what happened in verses 22 to 26. The Passover meal, as they practice it, it is a celebration every Jew celebrated in Jesus' days and even today. 
for millenniums. For the Jews, they really became a nation after the Passover. It, they weren't before that. It was after the Passover that they celebrate themselves as a nation that is free from slavery. This is what happened back in the 1,500 years before Jesus. That the Israelites, they were in Egypt and Pharaoh was holding them captives as slaves. God demanded that Pharaoh let his people go. But Pharaoh, who represents the greatest king of our time, refused. For nine times, Jesus gave them a chance. But for nine times, Pharaoh pit against God. Until finally God says, I will send the angel of death. You will see a limited judgment from me. Every household, whether you're humans or animals, your firstborn will die. But to the Israelites, Jesus says, as for you, kill an innocent lamb. Spread his blood on the wooden frame. Stay behind it. So that when the angel of death passed and they see this blood-stained wooden frame, it cries out to the angel of death that death and judgment has already entered this house. Pass over. And so the angel of death came and every single household, their firstborn was dead, except those with blood on their wooden frame. That was Passover. The Israelites had God's judgment pass over them. But here is the reality, dear friends. No animals could have ever paid for our human rebellion and sin against God. It couldn't have been in, in the Passover in, in Egypt. It couldn't have been in Jesus' time, and it would never have been for our time. So the first Passover in Egypt up to the Passover in Jesus, the last Passover, they all are merely signposts that points to Jesus being that final and true Passover lamb. And Jesus says that he will be that Passover lamb whose blood will be spread on the wooden frame and all who hides behind this bloodstained frame God's wrath will pass over them. So verse 22, this is what it says. While they were eating, Jesus, he came, he took the bread, that, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and then he gave to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Now, dear friends, so-called the body and the blood of Jesus, the Son of God, is really the only way God's wrath can pass over you or me. And notice, God will not demand payment twice. If His Son bears that payment, God will not ask from us ever again. Jesus reveals to his disciples from verse 22 to 25 that his death will be the fulfillment of the Passover meal. So when Jesus invites his disciples to eat and drink, he's inviting them to recognize that his death on the cross will appropriate 
for them. Meaning that Jesus, when he dies on the cross, is giving himself for them and to them, inviting them to share the benefits of his death when they trust in him. For God will not demand payment twice. And if we hide behind the bloodstained frame of our Lord Jesus, God's wrath will pass over us. So in the same way, dear brothers and sisters, as you and I, we believe in Jesus, as month after month we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are exercising our faith. We are declaring that we believe in Jesus, that he died and he paid for our sins. And we believe that God's judgment has and will pass over us. And so by faith, we enter into a covenant that has been sealed by the blood of Jesus so that you and I, we can share in the benefits of Jesus' death when we trust in his works on the cross. But here's the horror. For those who want Jesus dead, for those who betray Jesus, for those who reject Jesus and are going to depend on their own good works, the benefits of Jesus' death is not on them. On that final day, they shall stand alone in open space to face the oncoming, unhindered, unmediated judgment of God. And God will come and He will judge. And He found any sin, any rebellion, any evil thoughts and action that we have, His full judgment and wrath will come and consume. It will be unreserved for every creature, including angels who have rebelled against him. Everyone who has sinned will bear the judgment and wrath of God. Dear brothers and sisters, what is the point of the Passover meal? The Passover meal in all of history has always been a compass the compass to Jesus who comes to die in our place. And not only that, Jesus says in verse 25 that he will not stay dead. He will rise from the dead and one day he will drink from the fruit of the vine. And on that day when he drinks the fruit of the vine, it will not represent his death, but it will proclaim his victory as the God King and his kingdom arrive. On that day, those who have hidden behind his bloodstained wooden frame, his death, God's wrath will pass over them and they shall enter into the great heavenly banquet to celebrate Jesus with him. Dear brothers and sisters, as we come to a close, the main point of this passage is very clear. Jesus will die. In less than 24 hours after he gave this supper, he was dead. He will die because people rejected him and rejected God. But he will die also because God loves us and offers us a way from judgment and have God's wrath pass over us. As we close, the question comes back to us. How will we respond to Jesus? Will we choose to hate Jesus like the chief priests and Judas to hold on to our self-rule, to hold the ring of power that we want to have to be our own gods? 
Or will we let go? Will we just let go of our self-rule, our desires to be God, to love Jesus and to accept his death for us? Like the woman who has been won over by her king, by all who believe and so proclaim the death of Jesus. Because here's the thing, dear friends, brothers and sisters, unless we let go of our desire to be God, we cannot hold on to the refuge behind the blood of Jesus and be saved. So may God help us. May God help us to let go of our rebellion against God and free our hands to grab hold of the benefits Jesus offers his disciples and now offer to us. His death for our death, his resurrection for our future resurrection. May God have mercy and win us over in Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today's passage and the two meals that shows us Jesus must die. Jesus knows he will die. Jesus knows you want him to die. Father, we pray that as we hear today's passage, that we will learn to respond rightly to Jesus. That we will, like the women, be won over by our King. That we will see Jesus more precious than anything that this world can offer. That we will let go of things that will drag us into the fiery furnace of judgment. That we will let go and cling on to Jesus who will propel us into forgiveness and salvation and into his future kingdom of heaven. So Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will win us over and that we will choose to love the Lord and King who loved us and died for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg